Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And if you love me, never invite me to a foodless party. Yes. Girl, mm. yes. Finally, someone understands. If I show up at a party and there's not even like chips and dip, I'm leaving. You know, I can't. Because like we're at a certain age now, so most of the parties I get invited to are people kind of of like my age. And part of me is like, you want to know by now that even chips and dip is not going to be enough. You know I didn't have time to eat beforehand. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I can eat chips and dip as a meal, so pretty shamelessly. <laughs> <laughs> my my blood pressure literally <laughs> spiked to whole points. Not that I can't do that either, but I'm so much more aware of sodium mm. post-30, and it's very unfair because I love salsa. And of course, I should. you should always make it. It's healthier. Whatever. But jarred salsa, girl, <laughs> merciless. I'll merc a whole jar of salsa if you let me. <laughs> I mean, I'm also way into cheese and crackers. Cheese and crackers. Yes. Give me a cheese and cracker plate. I'm into it. Yeah, that's really nice. And I feel like that takes very little effort because you can just get different shaped crackers and different shaped cheeses. Like Trader Joe's can do half the work for you if you really want them to. Yeah. But. Who am I to judge your party that I'm already judging at that I'm not invited to already? Right. I mean, but, like, let's be real. Am I going to go to the party? Probably not. So, Well, that was supposed to be the motivation. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Will there be hummus? Ugh, I'm not into hummus. Wait, what? I will eat hummus. And sometimes there's a really good hummus. But, like, hummus isn't a selling point for me. Girl, did you have some bad hummus? Are you a texture person? Mm. I just prefer my food to be more unhealthy. <laughs> I just like next next mini soda. I want to know what a week in Danny's food life is. I just I feel like we need to talk about this because <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of cheese in your diet and I'm very concerned as your friend. <laughs> I definitely eat way too much cheese. Um <laughs> My husband may have been teasing me about, like, how to scare me this morning and was mm. straight up like, there's no more cheese in the world. And I was like, no! <laughs> it's my worst nightmare. I can't live in that world. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's mm. it's scary. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's a hard no, life. That's really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, that is what I call an opening. Yes. <laughs> On, on a less cheesier topic today, we are going to be getting into something a little bit, I think, probably out of our own comfort zone, I think. Yeah, I would say so. Mm -hmm. It's something that I think just at the top, we have both openly admit it is not an area of expertise or even part of our personal experience, but it's something we just really kind of want to kick around, get a feel for, and something we want to probably dive in and revisit. We just had kind of like this thought, really, and I've really been seeing it in the media of people like Madonna or even Josephine Baker or Hugh Jackman. They all kind of have this really random thing in common, and that is they have all adopted children outside of their own race. Or, you know, pulled an Angelina, as we like to call it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I kind of, I feel like she is just, and she even gets like the verb, like she is your angelina right now. Yeah. It's a very interesting, it's not anything new, 
No. I feel like it's always especially in the media. It's just kind of a thing like Tom Cruise and his his ex boo have done it. It's just you see it so often, really. Yeah. It's a strange thing, too, and definitely something to feel conflicted about, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's... I We'll get into it, I guess, a little bit more. But it's something that seems like a, a cool thing, a popular thing, particularly amongst the wealthy mm-hmm. and amongst wealthy white folk. Yes. In... <laughs> I, I have family members who are, are adopted. I've known loads of people who are adopted, but this is actually something my husband and I want to do when we go back to the States. We feel very strongly that we want to adopt and we want to adopt domestically and we really want to adopt mm. a child that is of color. And even that of having to do some research, I feel like I was very schooled while doing research for the show. I was looking at quite a few people who are advocates and sharing their own experience, and they were using a lot of this term of transracial adoption, Mm. which by definition is placing a child of one race or ethnic group with adoptive parents of another racial or ethnic group. Now, predominantly, we can kind of see that, like I said, not only in the media, by welfare services, it's going to be a, a huge chunk of mostly white parents. Yeah. And I think in order for, yeah, for this particular conversation, we're going to have to stay to domestic too. Yeah. Because getting into international is a whole other oh, thing. Oh, it's, it's crazy and crazy expensive. And there's been a lot of controversy with like the Chinese adoption and and all oh, of that. It, so it's a whole other can of worms, I suppose. And I, And I do actually know... A few different people who are Korean ethnically, uh, racially, and were adopted and nationally and were adopted by white American families and have Mm -hmm. been raised outside of like Korean culture and don't even speak Korean, even though they were born in Korea. So it's it's something that happens even amongst like normal people not celebrities right yes exactly but i think you're right i think it's it's too big so we'll just look at domestic for today but i want to go back to this idea uh this term of transracial adoption what like in the case of of folks like us who are mixed race adopting a child like how would you even go about finding a child who's like the right percentage to reflect, you know, mm-hmm. you like that seems insane. I know. Well, later on, we're kind of we're going to kind of get into ever so slightly about laws and situations of what it actually has been historically to kind of adopt a child outside of your race. But once again, that leaves people who are mixed kind of in a bind to where there was a lot of pushback of adopting outside of your race. But if you are like us, where does that leave us? You know, right. there is there would be have to be a lot of blood work involved in order to do that. Right. And it just gets beyond complicated. And that kind of actually leads into why two mixed women who aren't adopted would why why would we even want to discuss this? In researching, I actually found a lot of very remarkable amount of parallels between being in a transracial adoption situation and being a mixed person. Yes, it's insane how similar it could be. Uh, and it's it's crazy to me that I, I had never really thought about that before. 
Yeah. I yeah, it was one of those things. There's this woman, um, Angela Tucker. I saw just a clip of her on the red table talk thing with Jada Pinkett. And the thing is like those that you only get such a short amount of who the person is, but she actually has made a documentary uh-huh. and has a docu-series about talking to people about what it's like being transracial. And just hearing her, she was using all the verbiage you and I have used in our own journey. Things like tokenism, fetishism, like she used something called a privilege by osmosis. And I was completely floored by that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, just let that sink in a little bit. This idea of privilege by osmosis makes a lot of sense, right? Because there's privilege and then there's the confidence that goes with privilege. And I think being raised in that way, you can have that confidence even if you don't experience that privilege, right? Exactly, exactly. She was even talking about something that, once again, I didn't even think about being used as a teaching tool racially. Because oh, normally if you have white parents, yeah. yeah, if you've got white parents and you're a person of color, the likelihood of you being the only person of color within your neighborhood, schools, surroundings, extracurricular activity, job place, you are going to be used as a teaching tool on how to handle that particular race. Yeah, it's like a teacher mentions Black History Month and then looks at Tamika. <laughs> that is a, oh, Danny, if I had a dollar, I would be able to like put a down payment on a house in a very beautiful mid-suburban place. <laughs> but she even mentioned things like code switching, loss of language and loss of culture. This was, she did an interview where she kind of did about five different people, different ages and in different places of dealing with and addressing their transracial adoption. And there was a little boy who talked about how he acts a little differently in front of his teacher as opposed to acting with his friends. And he's, I think he is actually mixed, but he is a beautiful brown boy who has white parents. And here he is, probably no more than eight or nine, experiencing code switching at such a young age, but not having the verbiage for it. That's the thing about code switching is it comes to us so naturally. Like we do it without knowing that we're doing it. Exactly. Right. And it's this human desire to to be part of the in-group. And those of us who don't exist firmly within one group, like feel mm-hmm. the nece- the necessity to constantly be switching. Well, even something like the loss of language and loss of culture, we often kind of focus that a lot on our own show mm-hmm. talking about, especially if you're not connected to once, like you don't have that parent around or you're not close or that parent doesn't necessarily want to bring in their own culture. Right. You know, there's such a grieving process, but can you imagine of being able to like go home and see within your own family photos, no one could, who can even tether you down to who you are. There is that, that deep sadness that they really kind of feel of not being able to, uh, they were talking to several young ladies who were both Vietnamese and Korean talking about they are just so depressed that they don't even know their own language. And one young lady was like, yeah, I started to learn my language and I already started to feel a lot more connected about who I am and what I'm about. And it just it just really blew my mind. It was like that song by uh, Lauren Hill when she's talking about, um, I felt he found my letters mm. and read them each all out loud. Like I felt like they were singing the song of my life, even though I am not an adoptive person. It was such a, a crazy, mind-blowing parallels. Right. I, I think it's 
this idea of trauma, racial trauma, is something that's relatable to a lot of us um, in different sorts of situations. But it's like the language is the same, right? Like we can feel it even though Mm -hmm. the circumstance surrounding it is is different. Mm -hmm. Well, let's kind of like spill into that. Let's kind of explore a little bit. Do we think this multicultural adoption kind of promotes racial genocide or even like the dilution of racial identity? It's a it's a complicated question and uh, with a complicated answer. (laughs) But for me, like my first my first gut reaction, and I should preface this by saying if there's listeners who are listening who have adopted outside of their race, like this is not an attack on you by any means. Um, No. And I think, you know, it comes in different levels. But but for me, the first thing that I think about is just like historical references. And I think about the Indian Adoption Project of the late 1950s. And so for those of you who may not be familiar with this, this is straight up another way of like killing the Indian, saving the man, which was so popular Mm -hmm. um, in in our wonderful country as a way to eradicate Native Americans and assimilate Native Americans. So in the late 1950s, there was this move to forcibly take Native children from their families and have them be adopted by good white families in order to assimilate them. And this is different than what we're talking about a lot today with adoption, right? A lot of adoptions today are, you know, for actually the the safety of the child but these were exactly. not for the safety of the child these are straight up no, for no, no, assimilation no, no. like there were like calls for enlightened people to adopt in in uh-huh. newspapers and basically what you could do is you could buy an indian child for ten dollars like there was a ten dollar sponsorship fee and then you would go ahead and get an indian child that was available for adoption and so this and this wasn't that long ago like this was the late 1950s right like this is our parents lifetime exactly yeah so so it's crazy to think about and it wasn't until 1978 with the passage of the indian child welfare act that that this stopped right so Mm -hmm. we're looking at you know 20 plus years of in, in the 20th century of Indian children being adopted by white families as a means of assimilation and a larger means of, of racial genocide. So <laughs> that's what I always think about when I think mm-hmm. first start thinking about this transracial adoption issue. Well, it's hard when you have when you kind of start off that way, because that project actually kickstarted the same project that would do the same thing for African-Americans later down the road, about 10 years later. They're like, oh, this is doing so well. Let's go ahead and do this for another different race. And it was so prevalent because they actually did underneath the arc of trying to be helpful, but there was a lack of cultural competence. There was a huge support from the Church of Latter-day Saints, and they've got mm. that mad Man, LDS, like, adopted <laughs> so many of these Native kids, so too. Like many children. <sighs> it's massive, and it's something that we're still seeing the effects to this day. So when we ask a question, and I think even when people are in their everyday conversations, 
when you ask, what do you think? Do you think this is actually diluting people's culture? It's really, you find people when they kind of buck up against it and say, actually, I kind of do. Do you blame them? This is, like I said, this is not a knock on people who have adopted children outside of their race. That is a whole other kettle of fish. And I have nothing but admiration and love and respect because I know quite a few people who have. It's a journey. Mm. Um, I don't, it's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of sacrifice of your time. A lot of adoptions actually, um, don't go through as well. It's, it's a really painful emotional mm. process. But when you have something that has this kind of historical baggage, you can't help but kind of raise an eyebrow to it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so knowing that history and knowing where we're kind of sparking up from, let's, let's move up to today. What do you think is the overall feeling as far as is this diluting racial identity? <sighs> um, I think it's, like I said before, it's not a simple answer, but I take issue <laughs> with this idea of diluting racial identity because to me, and this is all from my perspective as a mixed race woman, to me, that makes it sound like racial identity is this singular thing, right? Like this singular category mm -hmm. that you have to fit nicely into. So like to me, I'm yes. like, is the birth of me also diluting racial identity? I don't mm -hmm. know. Say it. Say it. I think this is something, even just doing this show has really awakened something in me of what is the definition of a certain people's race. It's me. That's what it is. There's no box. There's mm -hmm. no yeah. attribute. There's no list of do's and don'ts. And if I make that, and of course we all joke, and I always joke about, do I have my black card, <laughs> which is a whole other right. thing. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But, but, but in reality, what is being a woman of color? It is me. Because guess what? I am a woman of color and that is my reality and that is my truth. And so with that, we have people who are saying, you know, white parents who are adopting a child of color, they're not teaching them the language, they're not versed in their background and culture. Does it make that child any less of that particular race? No. It does no, not. No, it does not. <laughs> also, you have to consider not only like your own personal connection and your blood and your lineage, but also the way that society treats you. Like that's, and that's mm -hmm. something we've talked about before is like, I can embrace my white heritage all I want. That isn't going to make everyone else around me see, see me as a white girl, right? Exactly. There was another interview I was watching a beautiful, dark, gorgeous mahogany skinned woman who were adopted by, they were a lovely uber white family. And she talked about the struggle with her hair, even though she was talking about her perception being like, it's so hard not to identify as white. But I'm like, honey, that hair doesn't. Like that does mm. not change like your your life, but it did it does kind of alter your experience. And I think what they're talking about now is like, okay, it doesn't erase racial identity, but what does it do emotionally mm -hmm. for adoptees? Yes, and I think I, I'm hoping now people are switching the focus of yes, you are indeed a person of color. Let's not take that away with you. Let let's not come with the harshness and further give you stress and trauma about your own identity. Let's talk about the emotional impact this has made on your life. It's not limited to transracial adoptions, right? Like I think mm. there there is a thing with adoption in general where there's this, yep. this search for identity that a lot of people grapple with, um, particularly 
like anyone I I would imagine, but I I've seen it with people who love their families, love their adopted yes. families and feel accepted and like they belong, but it's still like this this need for figuring out a little bit more about their their identity because of, mm-hmm. you know, lineage and and I think it's it's difficult in lots of children of adoption regardless of of the race component are going to go through that. Mhm. And I'm really glad I'm I'm finding at least from my perspective I am not in that community that there's becoming more spaces for people to do that mm. to, for them to be able to love and still respect their parents but also still have that um I was reading an article about trying to stop like demonstratizing parents who have given up children for adoption. Mm. I think there's a horrific stigma about that, especially if it's people of color who have given up children of adoption that well, how could you do that? It must have been drugs or you just were not in a good place. You had too many kids. There's just a really negative view about people who do give up their children for adoption. And when adoptees are trying to have that connection and finding that there's a lot of pushback of like, well, why don't you like where you're from? Aren't you happy? You're so lucky. A lot of them talked about almost like that guilt of, or you're so lucky. You don't know what you've been saved from, but I I'm, I'm hoping while even for two people who are not adopted talking more about it, we need to kind of raise that awareness to give people that space to find out and to find those connections. Yeah. I think that that's important. And I think there's also, and we were just kind of doing it a little bit too, is like putting what the expected reaction should be on adoptees. And I think that as people grow up in different phases of their life, the things that they'd have to say about it and the feelings that they have about being adopted will change. Mm, exactly. Well, th- this... This next kind of like little chunk I kind of want to talk about, we've been touching on it a little bit. We have here something called the white list and there are things like, you know, uh, saltwater taffy and cross-country skiing and just, but this is one of those things. It does seem to be adoption of children who are of color and who are not of color. Why does that seem so predominantly a white thing to do? Mm, Well, adopting requires a certain amount of capital in order to do it, right? Like Mm. adopting is not a cheap process. And I think just going back to (laughs) the state of of our country, of our world, like typically white people have more capital. So I think that just from a practical level, of course, there's more white people who adopt. I don't know. Like, I think that that's part of it. But you're right. There is this... Like when I think about like parents adopting, first thing that comes into my mind are, are white people. Like it's it's so yeah. ingrained. Mm-hmm. Th- that's the challenging part because I actually had the same thing. Or I mentioned to a friend of mine that I really want to adopt when we get to America. They're like, well, that that's definitely the white side of you, and that kind of like really grated right against me. Yeah, they actually didn't mean any harm by it whatsoever in their mind. They're like, well, you know, it's almost like glad that I had that within me to do that. But I think you're right. I does think it has a lot to do about capital. The process in order to adopt is very painstaking. Right. It makes me wish that we were that that hard on people actually having their own children. Don't get me started. 
but it is a very expensive, lengthy, emotional, deep prying process. And like I said before, it doesn't always go through. I've known several people who were ready, um, willing, and thought it was going to go through. I mean, all, all but just had baby in hand. And, it, and it's, it's, they, they compared it to having a miscarriage. That's what they compare it to. It is that grieving and that loss. I can't imagine. I know. The paper pregnancy, right? The the lead up uh-huh. to the adoption and then not getting the child. I I could see how that uh-huh. could be as traumatic in some ways as losing a child, right? Like you had that that expectation of, of having it and then it wasn't there. Uh-huh. So I just don't know if it's just what's publicized because within different communities between the Hispanic, Latino, and African-American community, there is actually a lot of adoptions, especially within the own family. Mm, um, adopting right. children from siblings, grandmothers adopting children from their own children. Um, there is a lot of that, and I don't know if that's talked about enough. So I do think there is a lot of adoption going on within families, within their culture community. I just don't know if we're talking about that enough or why we don't put that on the same pedestal as a white couple who are adopting. Right. I, Do you know what I well, mean? And then just to flip it on its head a little bit, can you picture like a, a couple of color adopting a white child? Uh, I, I don't. I, I can't. Like, I'm sure it's happened, I, right? It must have happened. Yeah. But like, it's hard for me to, to picture it. Mm. What can we do about that? What is within us that has that ingrained photo of what it looks like, the epitome of adoptive parents? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to this idea of what family should look like, that we are fed mm-hmm. by by like the I, I hate to be like by the media, but, you know, in entertainment, like <laughs> we we see like what families look like. And so that's kind of what we have in our mind. And it also impacts those of us like who are mixed race in our families and in and, and, and mixed race relationships. Like it doesn't look right. Right. Like it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like it's normal. So I think mm, exactly. seeing more mixed race families, whether it be mixed race because of lineage or mixed race because of adoption is is important. Mm-hmm. Just the visibility, I feel like, can help start shifting the way we think. Exactly. And I do think we need to start we need to start giving more spotlight, like you said, to unconventional families, like to to where the headship might look like a different kind of couple than what we're used to seeing. And I think the more we create those spaces, um, the more support we can give people who are adopted to being like, you know what, I cannot walk a mile in your shoes, but we have enough similarities to I want to be an ally with you. And I'm really excited. I really do think if there's any better of an ally for someone who is adoptive, it is a, it's a mixed person, I think. Mm, yeah, definitely. I have a question, though. So why do you think mm. people want to adopt somebody outside of their race like mixed race people aside who like we don't have necessarily the ability to like choose someone who's the exact same race as us but white families who adopt black children or black families that adopt white children like what do you think is the impetus behind this oh girl you want to talk about not an easy answer (laughs) so let me let me give you the answer that i that i hope for Mm. And I'll give you, I'll give, then I'll give you the answer that mm, 
part of Dominica needs to be sanctified. All right. So here, there was actually funny, speaking of Hugh Jackman, I mentioned him at the very beginning. Him and his wife actually adopted two mixed children. And I thought, go ahead, Hugh. And I thought it was really interesting. And when he was asked why, he said during the process, he was basically told that children who are mixed race, at least where he's from, I think, you know, Australia, are a lot less likely to be adopted. And he said it was a no-brainer after mm, that. That makes a lot of sense. So to him, it wasn't seeking out, like going there. I think, and there's been a couple of other interviews, I think, with high-profile people when asked of why any kind of child, they're like, our eyes were open and they were told that children of color, especially if they are older. older. And that's for all children, older, though, right? Older children. All children across all races and gender. Um, once they get kind of out of that infant baby stage, I mean, it's any that in itself, I can probably get way off topic with. But a lot of people generally, I think, have this heart of saying, wow, what is who is in my area that's not getting adopted? I want to do that. And for that, I have all the, the heart and admiration. I will say what I hope to see more in the future is people who do decide to do that is that they continue to do the work. As we like mm-hmm. to say on the show, you do the work. If you're adopting a child who is outside of that, maybe try to learn the language or have it incorporated in their home. Even if it's just having music or movies or something, having that around in their house. If they have different textured hair, maybe going to someone and learning how to do that hair. Yeah. Um, try to involve community. Yeah. I think it's one of the most important things you could do is live in a racially diverse community, right? With Yeah with racially diverse schools and really like give that child a sense of community and belonging. I also think straying away from a colorblind approach to raising your children is absolutely essential. Like even though it's Mm -hmm. well-meaning, we've talked about our feelings on colorblindness. Uh. Um, It would definitely backfire because that does not change the fact that our, our society is still racist. You can't just be like, I've mm-hmm. decided to be colorblind. Like, that's not going to change society and your child's experience within society. When I hear that, all I hear is I have the privilege in order to do that mm. because I don't have that privilege of doing that. So ugh, I'm going to I'm going to start getting off on that <laughs> that colorblind tangent. But what I'm hoping sometimes I have to fight the urge when I see it in higher profile people, maybe not necessarily like domestically that there's a certain kind of savior feeling in adopting a child outside of your race. I really hope that is not the key, but sometimes I do have that feeling and I really struggle not to, I don't want that to be my knee jerk reaction or like a gut feeling Mm. when a white couple or a white person, maybe not always a couple wants to adopt of like saving them and, and, you, you know, like I said, especially domestically versus internationally, I think it's kind of you kind of run into two different kind of motivations differently. I have had had friends who are of a different race, either they're Korean or Vietnamese or Thai and they are American, but they adopt a child from China or Vietnam. And I feel like that's a different kind of that's a different topic. Yeah. I don't know. I really hope it's not a savior complex because that would be discouraging, yeah. I think. Yeah. But is it bad if these children are getting a beautiful, lovely life? And that's what's so difficult is, like, why am I being mad that these children are being adopted and being loved and being brought to a 
crazy, um, wonderful home. At least I hope so. Like, what am I literally complaining about? But ah, I can't get rid of that, that gut feeling sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it is, it's, it's complicated. And like you said, like we have these mm. gut feelings and it's hard to move past them. But essentially, like at the end of the day, what matters is that children mm. who don't have families get families and have the opportunity to grow up in a situation where they have adults who or even an adult who loves and cares for them, you know, like, and that should transcend race and should transcend all these things. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's loaded and it's hard. It really is. Anytime you mention race, it's going to be very loaded, but that I think this is, this is the tip of the iceberg. And I really hope that we have more conversations about this because I, I am tired of the nuclear family and I'm ready to kind of bust that apart and really dive deep into other people's experiences and give them that space and really hear about their journey. And I want to get rid of that gut feeling. I really, really do. I really look forward to that. And I really hope that uh, if people are listening and they have this experience or they're, this is their reality, I'd love for you all to write in and we'll have all that information at the end of the show. But I would love to hear about your experience. School me. I want it. Yes. All right. Should we get mad? Oh, probably we should get mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just preemptively getting mad over here. <laughs> Are you? Yes. Just already start doing it. Yes. I'm so, so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's get mad. getting mad but it's an old story to be fair <laughs> oh we just found out never, about it's it it's never too old to get mad out yeah it's never too i <laughs> it's never too old i feel like it's never too late so that never ever bothers me right so we're we're kind of mad at, at fitbit i mean i'm always mad at fitbit <laughs> that's not true <laughs> i i so can I can I paint the scene? Yes, can please. I actually paint the scene? I'm in my home. I am like uber crazy tired and just like over it and apparently probably haven't had enough steps or water or whatever because I I own a Fitbit and my lovely friend Danny who always sends me things to get mad at because she knows me. I look at it and all I just read is the topic. All I read is the headline of this article and I'm just like, "Yep, Yep, screw my fitness. Like I'm over it. <laughs> the title is the I literally was just like, yep, I'm over it. It says Fitbits might not track your heart rate right if you're a person of color. I literally walked out of the room in my own house. It was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So evidently there were a lot of online complaints from consumers who were saying that they weren't like getting an accurate reading in what did these consumers have in common? They had darker skin. Mm. And uh, mm -hmm. evidently the companies knew about this, but they didn't disclose the fact <laughs> that it could happen. It could be less accurate for some consumers. So the idea is that 
it, it basically, the more melanin you have, the harder it is for the way that these Fitbits and smartwatches um, track your heart. They rely on on green mm-hmm. lights because it's simpler and cheaper than infrared lights. That is what hospital grade heart trackers use. So, but the green lights have a shorter wavelength and so that shorter mm-hmm. wavelength is absorbed by melanin so it basically exactly. the more melanin you have the more you're blocking the green light and it's hard to get an accurate reading it's ridiculous like what what is actual hell i felt so betrayed felt so so betrayed and like everyone uses the green light yes everyone because it's so much cheaper. And when you're designing something for a white person, <laughs> you didn't even have that consideration. <laughs> well, can you imagine? Like, I just would have loved to be that person. Because, you know, at least one person had to at least bring it up. Right. Of that, like, hey, I'm just letting you know that, um, like, uh, like, darker skin actually absorbs light it's kind of its whole purpose <laughs> right? of being. it's the whole purpose <laughs> purpose it's um so i'm just letting it might be i don't want to step on here i know i'm the intern like it's some intern that's woke that was right. up in the office trying to go against this big massive corporation that's like two days from rolling out this big thing that's gonna make everyone flip out and change the game of pedometers forever right like i just well uh I just feel so light to. The issue is <laughs> that it is just illustrating to us who is in the room when these devices are being mm-hmm. designed, when they're being tested, when the companies are are deciding to make them go public. Like who is who is there and who is being represented as they develop these this technology, right? And it's just like it feels a bit yeah. like a slap in the face. I don't have a Fitbit. I have zero interest in a Fitbit. Um, I don't have a smartwatch <laughs> or anything. I wear like an old fashioned watch. But and I don't think my skin has enough melanin that this would actually impact me personally. But it still feels like a slap oh. in the face. Well, it does because, you know, I'm sure they're just like, oh, we've done testing and the margin of it was just so low. I'm like, this because you probably had one slightly tan person probably in the right. testing ring. I'm like, I, I care about my fitness too, guys. Come, at least I'm trying to pretend like I am. Right. But I mean, I think like also if you have tattoos, it would impact you in the same way. Like yes. I don't, I'm not very dark. Um, I'm pretty medium skinned, but like I have a tattoo on my wrist. So I wonder if like I were to wear a Fitbit, if it would not be able to get through the ink of the tattoo. <laughs> but that's the thing. A lot of clientele people are also they're they're tattooed. And I think I think it's the transparency. I think if they even said, hey, if you have a darker skin tone, if you have tattoos in the place of where the reading is, because my tattoos are on my right and I wear my watch on my left. And so I, I wouldn't even think about that. But my, like they kind of go a bit higher. Mm. I just wish there would be transparency of like, look, we actually have found it because this this information, though the the Fitbits and all the, you know, Garmin and Apple Watches, all these things have been out for a while. I guarantee the research on this is not anything new. Just have transparency and then let people decide for themselves. Because guess what? I guarantee people are still going to get it. 
Right. That, that's the thing. People are still going to, especially the Apple watches, people are in the Apple gang pretty deep. Ugh, Just don't get me Stop started. taking the brown dollar. <laughs> don't. Girl, you already know. I drank the Kool-Aid and I'm not happy about it. I'm in it so deep and I can't get out. You're Send stuck. Help. You're stuck forever <laughs> now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, once you get one Apple product, you are just it's it's a mob mentality. You I can't get out of the gang. I, I want to, but I can't. <laughs> but I just wish that they would just let give the brown dollar a chance to decide right. where they want to spend it at. Exactly. And I think that that is my my problem with this is it's not just this, right? It is not just mm-hmm. whatever you're wearing on your wrist. It's like everything in technology right who is in the room Mm -hmm. when it's being designed who are they thinking of as their audience right and their consumers and like i hate consumer culture but like i'm still like i have my money and i'm gonna throw it at something that i that i want that i need that i think is cool yes but if if they're not really considering me as a viable consumer like why should i be giving Mm -hmm. them my money Exactly. I mean, I think that way with like phone, um, the big thing for phones right now is the camera. How good is the <laughs> camera? But a lot of people have, girl, we, oh man, the, the 30 over me is just like, remember when phones just called people? Um, it's, I love it. <laughs> I just wanted like a rotary phone. I so desperately need that in my life. But it's all, it's about the camera, and now they're getting multiple lenses and shots, but a lot of people are having grief of saying a lot of filters and cameras and focus are not really great for people who have melon-heavy skin because it needs to be um, lit differently right. than skin that is much lighter. And that, that, once again, is science. We're not trying to be super Black Panther over here. I mean, just I am always trying to be actual, Black Panther. You are. You're <laughs> this is You're always 100. But it's just... Wakanda. It's science, people. It's just science <laughs> forever. <laughs> it's, I just, I just want science to prevail for once when thinking about certain things and attributes like cameras and green lights. I just, just try, guys. That that's all. Right? How did they not catch it? And once they did catch it, how come oh, they girl. didn't fix it? Like, uh... no, no. You know they caught it. It's like I said. It just to them. The margin of error was probably not big enough for them to be concerned about. Mm. You know that's what their excuse Mm -hmm. is. Yep. It's that margin of error because who – because they had to do like, okay – because they had to have that hard conversation of who is actually going to buy this. It's for people who want to track fitness and who are active and for them to not think of people of color in that margin. So they weren't that worried about the overall bottom line. But guess what, Larry in accounting? I am worried about that bottom line and I want you to fix my watch. Exactly. So there. Yeah. Um, so, so what's your feeling about your Fitbit now? I just want them to stop lying to me. Because I actually really enjoy my Fitbit, but also makes a lot of sense. And so I'm in this really weird conversation because I'm actually addicted to having a watch. Mm-hmm. I cannot not have a watch. So I don't know. I just, it's a really old one on top of that. So maybe this is like the beautiful way we can just part <laughs> being like, oh, it got old and it's been lying to me. It's like a really <laughs> bad relationship. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Uh Oh, Danny, I just want to shop at places that think of me. Right. Evidently, I can get a free Fitbit with my health insurance. (laughs) 
I don't know. For real? Uh, my health insurance Girl, is such. You get them freebie? My health insurance is such crap. The only things like the only perks. <laughs> <laughs> the only perks are, like it pays for therapy. I don't have a copay on therapy, which isn't really nice. And evidently, I can get a Fitbit. Like I'm like I would rather you like. <laughs> Like it literally would cost me one thousand dollars as a copay to go to the emergency room. I would rather like have a lower emergency room. But you'll copay. be super fit, right? You would be super hella fit from those steps, right? Like in the emergency room. And though. I feel like I didn't want want the Fitbit anyway, but this makes me not want it even more. <laughs> like I just am like I'm done. You're dead to me, Fitbit. <laughs> I kind of want you to get one mostly so that way when you ultimately are just like, oh, great, like I have the common cold and it's like really hurting me, but I can't go get help. But I have this Fitbit right. just just as the juxtaposition to the where, like where healthcare right. is. Fitbit, I thought you were my robot doctor. <laughs> exactly. So when you go in there and they're giving you a hard time of like, why didn't you come in sooner, Danny? Why? We could have stopped this horrible my disease. Fitbit like, didn't but, tell but me. My Fitbit. Fitbit didn't tell me. I didn't know. <laughs> and that was her last dying words became, before she became a ghost <laughs> in haunted Presbyterian Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> That took a very dark it turn. It did. It's funny, but it also hurts. <laughs> it also, it's so, guy, healthcare reform. There, there. Something else to be angry about. Just throw it in like a grenade at the end. Should should we should we be happy after all of this? We should probably find some way to be happy. <laughs> to be happy. Because <laughs> Fitbit's not going to do it. Fitbit. <laughs> I thought I could count on you for all things. Evidently, you can't even make me happy. So, <sighs> Damika. What is making you happy this week? Oh, girl, you know, this is going to be so basic, but I don't care because it actually, once again, has a very emotional tie. I bought some tights for the first time yes. in like years because I, love I am a short, yeah, I'm a short plus size woman who has cankles and they're my cankles and I own them. They're my kinkles. They're my mother's kinkles and her mother before hers kinkles. And I've got massive junk in my trunk. I'm just, I'm a squatty female and that's okay. That's my shape, but it's really hard, very hard to buy tights. And I want to wear my cute like dresses and stuff like that or my ripped jeans in the winter because winter is real here. But it's been really, anyway, this company I saw on Facebook for forever and they actually had like some some thickum girls on the advertisement and had some dudes. I'm like, hey, I'm for that. And they finally had like a deal because a girl needs a deal. And I bought some tights from Snag who are not sponsoring, but hey, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm open to it, Snag. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not above it. I but would they love, came in the other day and I tried them I all. would love to be sponsored mm. by a tight company. Like send us some tights. I'm into yeah, it. Please. Yeah, I will model the hell out of some tights for you. But I tried them on. And first of all, 
they're they mailed it the least amount of plastic I have seen in a product. They like wrapped it all up the tights and like tissue paper and had stickers. The packaging was recyclable paper bags. So I'm like, yes, finally a company doesn't wrap everything in 12 sheets of plastic. And then they actually fit. I I really wish I was over exaggerating. It has been years since I've actually bought some real proper tights Mm. and not like some ghetto thigh highs just to make it. These are really nice. It's a nice thicker material. I've got mustard and burgundy and they're giving me life. And there's something about when you as a plus size woman that makes you feel that it makes you feel like a like a monster it may, it kind of dehumanizes you when you go places and you can't buy um you know thigh high socks or tights you're like this is not a crazy thing to ask for i'm just asking for to fit in and to belong and to have this as a need and so it's so nice when i put them on that I'm like, great, I don't, there are other people who are shaped like me who have this need. Someone once again, as we we're talking about before, they thought of me and a woman of my shape and my size and my height. This is this is amazing. And so I was very, very happy. And I can't wait to style them. I, I might have to take photos for our Instagram because I love them. I'm very excited. Cool. I'm, I'm about tights. Uh, I love them. Mm, I'm also let's do it. not very picky about my tights. I should be more picky. I think I just like <laughs> you should now I should I should now I should try these but what is making you happy um I don't know <laughs> um I've been <laughs> I'm like you know it's it's that time of year that's like mm. so busy and hectic and heavy you gotta find Mm. like just those little things to hold on to whether it be tights or like Mm, like some (laughs) mm, like some tights i think i'm gonna go with this week a song and this might be (gasps) might be controversial (laughs) because of who sings the song do it so (laughs) i'm so scared (laughs) yeah R. Kelly. No, 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 no. Just kidding. Um, I couldn't even I couldn't Daddy, even get it. Stop, I couldn't even stop. get it all the way out stop. before I was like, no, not true. Not true. Um, Dying. Okay. Oh, we laugh because it's so horrible. It's so horrible. It's so terrible. It's so horrible. Okay. It's so freaking horrible. She's not anyway. she's not on that okay, level for sure. So I've been listening to it's an old song. <laughs> reality by grimes so i like grimes i know grimes is very controversial <laughs> but mm, okay i'm i'm gonna give it to you yeah she's kind of controversial particularly like her whole thing with elon musk and i think they're broken up um, they broke up in the spring maybe i don't know i don't really i can't keep up with I, that. I don't either but and grimes is like crazy weird <laughs> and has definitely like said she hated hates the whole album that the song is on but then two days later talked about what a masterpiece the album was so who knows she's always trolling reporters which i kind of love about her so who knows <laughs> <laughs> what's the song the song is called reality it's just like oh okay there we go so i thought it was the album there yeah, we go reality is the song the album is our angels but it's it's just like a good good dance song and you know 
a nice a nice pick me up to listen to in the morning when you're realizing how crazy your day is going to be. So, so I'm into it. I yeah. I think, you know, there's a line in the song, every morning I have mountains to climb. And so I'm like, yeah, I do. Mm. Fucking climb these mountains. <laughs> Emotionally and figuratively. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, she, she's incredibly fashion forward. I think that's like probably as much as I really know about her is that she's really always kind of marketed for her fashion. Yeah, I'm I'm into but her style for sure. She's also just like, I don't know. Elon Musk is problematic. She was dating him for a long time. Ugh. 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 <laughs> Celebrity culture. I hate it. But we all but we all get sucked in it pretty. I mean, if you see pictures of him, he just like, yeah, those eyes are a bit dark and foreboding. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> just don't stare directly into the musk. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh man, and he's <sighs> crazy. Like he he had this whole thing where he was like, "Don't ever take a vacation." I've taken two vacations ever, and everything went to shit in my company. No one should ever take a vacation. I'm just like I would never want to work Yikes. for somebody with that attitude. <laughs> you know? Gosh, you're yeah. Maybe he can get on that healthcare to get some of that free therapy. Uh, I think he needs it, but maybe not. Once you <laughs> have that much money, like who knows? I don't. I don't know. I think there, there there has to be a certain dollar amount to where you actually are like, oh, happy, 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 insane, 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 insane. Like there's a certain zero where you actually lose in touch with all reality. I think with money, but says the girl who doesn't have any of those zeros, right? <laughs> well. Every morning you have mountains to climb. <laughs> climb those mountains. <laughs> those broke ass mountains. <laughs> I love it. Broke ass mountains. Broke ass mountains. Yes. Yes. Our new parody comedy coming to you next winter. <laughs> oh, I just try to quit you. Yeah. My job, that is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. This has been a roller coaster of an episode. <laughs> this really has been. I'm glad other people are on it. Yes. So, but we do want to hear from you. So let us know, particularly any of you transracial unicorns who are out there. If you have stories to share, mm -hmm. we would love to hear from you. You can drop us a line via email by racialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also reach us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. We're at Biracial Unicorns. On Twitter, we're at Biracial Magic. But really, we'd love to hear from any of you. Anything that you have to say, ideas, questions, throw them at us. Definitely. We want to thank so much to Dolly Pop Art for our amazing art. We want to give a huge shout out to Joseph Scott for doing our intro and outro music. And yes, we love to hear all of your experiences. Please, please, please support everyone and um, make space for people this week who have a different experience than you. Yes. Do that all the time. <laughs> just always. Mm. I love it. I just gave out homework to strangers. Ah. <laughs> The view from the broke ass mountain, <laughs> just throwing down homework. Exactly, it's musky up here, <laughs> very musky. It's because I don't take vacations. 
if you do like our show, be sure that you subscribe on whatever podcast platform yes. you use. Also, feel free to drop us a review if you feel so inclined. But mostly, we would love for you to share our show with your friends. Mm-hmm. Even if it's begrudgingly, they'll come around. That's what friends are maybe for. Maybe don't start with this episode. <laughs> or maybe they should. Because <laughs> if they're going to be into this episode, they're going to be thick as thieves with us as always. Yes. So we'll be back in two weeks with another full episode. And we'll be back next week with a mini-sode. Yes. All right, all. Peace. Out.